Welcome to Mod Path Chat, the official podcast of modern pathology, featuring interviews with authors and experts on the latest science, technology, and developments in the field of pathology. Your host, Dr. George Netto, is the editor-in-chief of Modern Pathology and the chair of pathology at the University of Alabama at Birmingham. Here's Dr. Netto. Welcome to today's episode of Mod Pass Chat. My guest is Dr. Britta Weigelt, who is joining us from Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center in New York. Dr. Weigelt is the Director of Gynecologic Research Laboratory at Memorial Sloan Kettering. Her unmatched expertise in genomic analyses of breast and gynecologic cancers has earned her a great international recognition. I'll be discussing with Britta uh, her group's latest study on synchronous ovarian and endometrial cancer. That study just appeared in Modern Path, and I must say on the cover of Modern Path. So congratulations, Britta, and thank you for accepting my invitation. Yeah, thank you so much for the invitation uh, to this podcast, George. Really appreciate it. Is this your first podcast or your... Don't tell, but it is, yes. <laughs> That's good. It's just doing great so far. So let's talk about the study. And uh, just uh, for our audience, uh, it's just appearing uh, this month. We're taping in May 2021. So uh, this month's issue, it's on clonal relationship and directionality of the progression of these synchronous tumors. So where is it coming from? Endometrium to ovary versus the other way around. And uh, in this particular paper, you focus on... Uh, uh, patients in Lynch syndrome or DNA mismatch uh, repair deficiency syndromes. So uh, can you tell us in a way of background, uh, educate us a little bit uh, about uh, the occurrence of these tumors, these synchronous tumors in sporadic versus Lynch and what have you? Yeah, so thank you so much. So we have a long-standing interest in synchronous endometrial and ovarian cancer. So Synchronous cancers have been reported in approximately 5 to 10% of patients presenting with ovarian or endometrial cancer. These are primarily low-grade tumors, mostly of histologic uh, or endometrioid histologic type. They present at younger age, and they're generally associated with a favorable outcome. Um, these tumors usually behave as two independent primary tumors and therefore are also believed um, that these are yeah, independent primary tumors rather than advanced stage disease that happens as a metastasis from one side to another. So clinicians do consider them, look at them as such, as independent? Mostly, yes. So Dr. Scully actually, I think it was in 1998, I have that, uh, that um, after this uh, here from him where he published tables and tables showing clinical pathologic features that can be used to discriminate whether the synchronous endometrial cancers um, and ovarian cancers are actually independent primary tumors, whether they're metastases from one another, and whether the ovary comes first or the endometrium comes first. So, however, we never really knew how well these clinical pathologic factors actually work or not. And um, so, Five years back, we performed a study with uh, Javier Matias Guillo, where we were interested in sort of looking at the, or do a molecular characterization of these synchronous endometrial and ovarian cancers in the, like in broad, but also to see whether we could actually identify markers that could be used to discriminate between those that are independent primary tumors 
versus those that were metastasis. So that's what we thought we would do. So at that time, we then sequenced um, 23 cases actually using whole exome sequencing and uh, target sequencing. Um, and to our surprise, what we found is that these tumors were clonally related, meaning they shared a large number of mutations, uh, the mutational signatures, copy number profiles looked all the same in these um, tumors. So this was not something we expected. And it was actually independently confirmed by a, um, by a paper that was published back to back by David Huntsman. And, um, but in our study, actually, there was one exception. Out of the 23 cases, there was one that had a large number of mutations um, in the endometrial in the ovary. Obviously, um, it was uh, microsatellite instable, but none of the mutations were shared. Initially, I thought, guys, we made a mistake. That cannot be. How can this one case be different from all of the other ones? Let's do it again. So we did it again came back the same result. So we had a deeper look at this particular case, and this was a Lynch syndrome case. So this was a, a case that um, where the patient had an MSH6 germline mutation, and um, that was the only case where the primary and or where the, where the um, endometrial cancer and the synchronous ovarian cancer were not related to one another. So the rest were sporadic and this was the only case. The other ones were all non-Lynch cases. So we we were like, okay. And this was sort of the start of this current study because we only had N equals one, one case. And we did not know whether this was the rule or the exception or whether we just said like, you know, that was just by chance sort of happening. And obviously answering this question would help us a bit more yeah, understanding a bit more even about the biologies of these synchronous uh, endometrial ovarian cancers, because I think over the years there has been quite some controversy regarding the relationship and also the origin of these cases. Excellent. So, so yeah. how did you go about for this study now? It sounds like you focused from the title on the mismatch repair deficiency. These are all patients who have that syndrome. Uh, so can you tell us how many cases, what technology you used, and uh, before we talk about the findings? Yeah, so the likelihood of actually having Lynch syndrome in patients with these synchronous tumors is about 7% in the literature. So what we did for this study is then to identify cases with a confirmed germline mutation in the DNA mismatch repair genes and to have synchronous endometrial ovarian cancer and to have tissue available. And this turned out to be much more challenging than we thought it would be because obviously Lynch syndrome is rare or endometrial cancer in general is rare, Lynch syndrome is rare. And then having synchronous lesions was incredibly rare. So we identified five cases, which we then reviewed, we histologically subtyped, we staged and graded and um, classified them using those clinical pathologic factors, which were um, published by Scully to uh, classify them into whether there would be independent primary or metastatic disease based on these clinical pathologic features. So that's what we did. And then as a next step, we extracted DNA from the endometrial ovarian and normal tissues and subjected them to a high depth um, targeted sequencing panel we have here at Memorial, the MSK impact panel, it's 468 genes mm -hmm. related to cancer. And we used then 
multiple bioinformatics methods to look at the mutations, the copy number alterations, mutational signatures, clonality, and also clonal relatedness of these tumors. And as you said, yes, we met, we focused on these mismatch repair deficiency tumors. So in the end, we ended up with four cases with Lynch syndrome. That means they have a heterozygous mutation. So one of the alleles in the four DNA mismatch repair genes. So we had MSH2, MSH6, and PMS2. But we had one case that had a homozygous mutation in PMS2, so a biallelic event. And these are actually not Lynch syndrome. This is called constitutional mismatch repair deficiency syndrome. So these are homozygous. It's even rarer. Like, um, so, so that's, yeah, that's, that's uh, the first thing I learned reading your introduction is this CMMRD. I've never, yeah, I've never heard. So if you have a biallelic germline, your the syndrome is CMMRD rather than Lynch syndrome. And, and how different is that syndrome? Uh, it's different in that it's, I mean, it's even rarer. It's a rare childhood cancer predisposition syndrome primarily. Um, it's associated with a whole spectrum of tumors, primarily sort of hematologic malignancies, but they also show Lynch syndrome associated tumors, primarily colorectal, but also endometrial cancers have Amazing. been. Amazing. It's, it's really rare, so yes. So great. So so that sounds like you had five patients total, right? Uh, one one is the one the CMMRD, and the other four were just Lynch, uh, and use NGS as you said. And you also did, uh, of course, MSI and and immunohistochemistry for MMR proteins and what basically to confirm the status correct of the of the underlying genetic alterations. Yes. And uh, my favorite uh, gene, uh, tumor suppressor gene P10. You did immunohistochemistry for P10. When I was young, I worked on that. So great. So uh, what were the findings and what's the implications? What's the answer now? Is it like the sporadic? Yeah, that's a good point. So we, we did the sequencing analysis and we basically had three different groups. First, we found a case that was clonally unrelated, no mutations shared, exactly like our initial findings. So this was a case, again, with an MSH6 germline mutation, like in our previous study, um, uh, that had, indeed, lots of mutations in the endometrial, lots of mutations in the ovarian. No none, none of the mutations were shared. And like many of the mismatch repair deficient tumors, there were no copy number alterations, really. Mm -hmm. um, what was interesting, indeed, in this case, for example, was there were multiple P10 mutations in the endometrial cancer that were associated with loss of expression of P10 by immunosochemistry, whereas in the wearing cancer, there was no P10 mutation, and P10 was retained if you did an immunohistochemistry on this tumor. So this was the first case. We're like, okay, great start. Confirmed. Next one. Um, then there was a case with a germline MSH2 mutation, which is basically the same story. High mutation burden, no mutation shared. Also here, there was a pretend mutation in the endometrial with loss of expression that was not present in the ovarian cancer. We thought, oh, looks all like, again, all this over the, the same thing. One. But this case was different. Unlike the vast majority of mismatch repair deficient tumors, this case had some copy number alterations. And um, we really had to take a double look and check. But yes, the, this, the landscape of these copy number alterations was very similar between the endometrial and ovarian cancers, and they shared the same gains in a couple of chromosomes. So the only thing we could conclude here is actually that they, yes, they are related. So we did some, you know, 
biostatistical sort of analysis to show that these are related tumors, not at the mutational level, but at the copy number level. And it's likely that these copy number alterations probably preceded um, the these mutations. But yeah, this was a very unusual case. So we first thought, oh, no mutations shared, but it ended up uh, probably likely. And then the last three cases um, we looked at, including the CMMRD case, actually was similar to this non-Lynch or sporadic cases we looked at previously that um, they were clonally related. So here in those, in three cases, we actually found, um, again, like many MMRD tumors, no copy number alterations, but many mutations and many of them shared between the endometrial and the ovarian cancer. Now, what was different in this study than from the previous study that now we had the the bioinformatic tools to look at the clonal structure of these mutations, whether they're present only in a subset of the cancer cells or in the majority of cancer cells, whether they're subclonal or clonal. And for the first time, really, we could look at the chronology really of the events or of the, if you want the directionality of the progression, because we saw in these three cases that um, there were subclonal mutations in the endometrial cancers that became clonal in their respective ovarian cancer, suggesting that the likely sort of directionality of progression was from the endometrium to the ovary. And, and, and uh, just to explain to the audience that, that you went back and did the analysis on the, your old sporadic cases too, to look at directionality. Yeah, because that was something that was missing in, in this previous studies. We couldn't do that at that time. Like the bioinformatics tools were not as as good. And and I think we, after we did this analysis, indeed, we said, like, okay, let's go back to the old data and reanalyze them again and let's have a look. And indeed, in those cases, in these non-Lynch cases, uh, we saw the same thing. In the ones where we could bioinformatically infer directionality, we saw the same thing. Endometrium being the likely origin giving rise to the ovarian cancers. And a subclone from the endometrium, it's the one and became the dominant clone in the ovarian ovarian cancers. But there is another layer of complexity, right? Endometriosis and and so you want to say something about that? Yeah, so that was another finding. So we we saw that in about one third of the cases with synchronous ovarian and endometrial cancer, where we could infer directionality in, in the lynch and in the non-lynch sort of, um, those were associated with endometriosis. So um, endometriosis, for those who are not that familiar, is basically defined as the presence of endometrium-like tissue outside of the uterus. And it has been suggested in the past to play a role in the development of synchronous endometrial and ovarian cancers. And but it also means, so in two thirds of the cases, there was no endometriosis. So actually, I really want to thank one of the reviewers of our paper who really pushed us to have a good look at this data and come up with a model, which um, we- prefer. I'm not going to tell you who it was. <laughs> no, but uh, you, you don't have to. But um, I'm really grateful that uh, the reviewer did because we did indeed come up with a model for sort of the development of synchronous endometrial cancer and ovarian cancer. And I mean, it's a pure hypothesis. It needs to be tested, you know. But um, what we suggested there is that in the setting of Lynch syndrome, the likelihood of 
endometrium transforming, either utopic endometrium in the uterus or ectopic in the form of, you know, endometriosis would be rather high in Lynch syndrome. So we see that often happening. So, um, so in this setting, the synchronous endometrial and ovarian cancers in the setting of Lynch syndrome could be independent lesions whereby the endometrium in the uterus and the ectopic endometrium on the ovary, for example, would transform independently. And in that way, you have two independent tumors with no mutations shared. That's probably what's happening. That may be happening, but you could also have clonally related lesions in the form, indeed, of a primary endometrial cancer that sort of, in quotation mark, metastasizes to the ovary. Now, in sporadic cancers, the likelihood of, you know, um, either utopic or ectopic sort of endometrium to transform is much lower than in the Lynch setting. So and here, probably indeed the likelihood of an endometrial cancer, again, metastasizing in quotation marks to the ovary may be much more likely. So that's why we see this clonality happening. The dominance of the clonality yeah. relationship. So we came up with this model and this is something to test now going going forward. I think. And and that's that's actually the picture on the cover of the May issue. So uh, one one more thing, which I thought extremely intriguing, is that you can have a sped, spread of endometriosis starting to have some mutations, some alterations, right? And at that stage, and then additional accumulating mutations after it transposed to the ovary or what have you. So that's yeah, that's your. So this third. is something indeed one at. That's yeah, sort of the third possibility one should not um, or should also take into account that you potentially have transformed endometrium or endometriosis, which already has cancer-related mutations. And we've seen multiple studies recently that showed um, that even normal endometrium or endometriosis already has these cancer-related uh, genes being altered with hotspot mutations and everything. Um, so one could indeed also hypothesize that maybe there's sort of, yeah, um, dissemination of this transformed endometrium or this endometriosis harboring these mutations. Twitter. And that you have like a small set of uh, alterations then shared, but accumulation of a lot of additional mutations in each side in the endometrium and the ovary. So yeah, in the end, they're probably three different models. So. Um, and this is now the next next thing to test and to find indeed lesions where good luck finding those friends. cases yes so for the listeners of this podcast if you want to collaborate and have your nice collection of uh, synchronous endometrial ovarian cancers with endometriosis present that would be the next step this uh, yeah. this study really uh, represents what's uh, what's beautiful and exciting about our field pathology you know not just uh, the the tables and the FIP years and years ago based on morphology and clinical with Dr. Scully, but, but look what you, you and your team were able to do uh, digging deep in the genetics. So I really thank you for, uh, for uh, doing this, uh, submitting the study, and, and I'm glad it's in modern path. And yes, we do have great reviewers. That's, that's uh, why we pushed you. And, uh, but uh, thank you for, uh, for the episode of uh, podcast. Uh, you've been a great guest, and I wish you and your team the best. Thank you so much. Any opinions expressed in this podcast are the speaker's own and do not represent the views of modern pathology, Springer Nature, UAB, or USCAP. 
Your ModPath chat host and scientific director is Dr. George Neto. Producers are Christina Crow, Amber Jackson, Dr. Sarah Jang, and Dr. Catherine Ketchum. Technical direction is provided by Kaminsky Productions, music by Mitch Neubauer. Thanks to the authors, reviewers, and editors of Modern Pathology for making this podcast possible.